Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 310. Afrelichin Rishchedesh Sivan. This is the new month, the new moon of Sivan, called in the Tater the third month of the year. Because in the calculation that begins after the Jews left Egypt, which is when Hachedesh Hazelachem, this is when Hashem, God, told Moshe Rabbeinu, that this will be, he told him to look up into the heavens and said, this will be the new moon, the new month, your renewal, beginning from the renewal of them leaving for the first time after hundreds of years, the bondage of Mitzrayim. So this began the lunar calendar. And therefore, Nisan is the first month, Chedesh Harishin, then followed by Chedesh Hasheni is Ir, and Chedesh Hashlishi is Sivan. The names, Nisan, Ir, Sivan, Tammuz, and so on, most of them came later. These are the names, Sha'alu Imoyim Mibovel, Babylonian names that were added later. The Teter name, the Teter Shebik and Chumish, is by number, the months are numbered, which is very significant, as we'll discuss in a moment. So it's the Shechedesh Sivan, the third month, and this would be the month, which in a few days after the Shechedesh, six days Afterwards would be Matan Teter. So after 49 days of counting, from the second day of Pesach, the 50th day is the day when Hashem, God, gave the Jewish people and through them the entire world His mandate, His blueprint for existence. But Rishchidosh even like every Rishchidosh, of course, has significance. It's a new month. Rish, we know from the word Rosh Hashanah, is not just Tchilas Achidosh, not just the beginning of the month. It's also the Reish, the central nervous system that controls the entire month. But there's something unique about Rishchidosh Sivan, besides it being the renewal of this month of Matan Teda. The Teda talks about it in Pasha Yisrael, when it comes when the Jews are traveling, as we said, traveling out of Egypt and coming closer to Sinai. So it says on that day, the first day of the third month, meaning Sivan, they arrived at Har Sinai. The Jews rested there, Negedahar. So the Medrash asked the question, there were millions of Jews. In Hebrew you say, Vayachnu, not Vayichan. Vayichan is Loshon Yochid, singular. Vayachnu, so it says no, because it was like, Ki'ish Echad, Belev Echad. There was such an integral unity that they experienced there, Negedahar, that they were like one person, with one heart. So the Teirah, Teirah Shebik Sav, where every word is precise, actually uses Vayichan to indicate on their oneness, on their unity. So you may ask, and what were they, weren't united a day before? Or later? So the Medrash continues and says that by the others it says Vayachnu Vayisu. They rested and they traveled. Loshan Rabim. Because it was involved with Machlekes, that's the language in the Medrash. Machlekes, disagreement. Could be Machlekes L'Shem Shemaim, as explained in many places. The Rebbe has all sikha about it. But it's still there was Machlekes. But when Hashem saw that they stood Neged Ahor, that's when it was Vayichan Shom, Loshin Yochid. So even if there was Machlekes L'Shem Shemaim, Elu Ve'Elu Dibre Lekim means every opinion matters and valuable, but then there's something about actually being like one person, one organism, and one heart. So why there? What happened? So the Har Sinai, Neged 
Her sinai had that impact on them. Either they're feeling and sensing mountain taters coming. Remember, they anticipated that An says they counted. One of the reasons we count is uh, because of the anticipation, the gaguim, the yearning for mountain taters. So as they sensed it really happening, something about that revelation, even though mountain taters didn't happen yet, but being in the presence of the mountain where God would, for the first time in history, the Bitla Hagzeira, as Chassidus says, the Medish, that till that point, there was a split, a schism, a dissonance between heaven and earth, between spirit and matter. There was the joining, the heaven and earth, kissing and becoming one. So as they came to that mountain, where this would happen a few days from now, that evoked in them this sense of camaraderie, of unity, unprecedented unity. What is our lesson for us today? Today we are dealing with challenges due to the coronavirus. One of them is that we cannot congregate. Now things are beginning to open up. People are wary. We're not sure. Let's not discuss that. But the point is, we've been quarantined for a while, for a few months. So now that things are opening up, there are many lessons to be learned. What about us? What is our status with unity today? What is our Ardus like? Has this brought out more unity? Has it brought out more conflict? So in some beautiful ways we see that despite the fact, ironically, that we were quarantined, in a way we became more connected than ever. We sensed our common vulnerability, our common interests, our common values. And, and there was connections made, were connections made and continuing to be made that weren't made earlier. I can tell you personally how many people I've spoken for, I probably I never would have spoken through Zoom, through Google Meet, through all the different technologies online. And not just the technical part of it, also the connections we've made, the new friends, the shared interests, recognizing that the material world that separates us, our jobs, our interests, are far more um, fragile and far more perishable, impermanent. Recognizing the more permanent things has brought us closer together. You know, when people have a common enemy, that's often that, something that unites them. When the Jews were in Mitzrayim, we didn't hear yet about their conflicts. There were some short conflicts and disagreements. But the Vayachna Vayish, you have to ask yourself, they came out of Mitzrayim, why would they be disagreeing with each other? And that needed a har, har Sinai, to create, evoke that one of the answers, my friends, is because when there's a common enemy and we're suffering together, oppressed, equally oppressed, that creates a commonality. But you could argue that maybe that's superficial. Let people free. Let them prosper. Let them out into their comfort zones. Let them out of prison. What happens then? Then they go back, so-called, to their natural selves and perhaps take for granted their unity. So we need to learn lesson one, number one, is that whatever happened during this period of time, the unity that it brought out of us, we should not forget that. Shchidosh Sivan reminds us that you don't have to be a Mitzrayim, suffer to be united. That even when we're comfortable and even when we're free, we should recognize that there's some higher force, in this case, Teir itself, even from Hashem, that connects and unites us. So it's a tremendous lesson that's relevant in our times 
that we should come away from this pandemic with a pandemic of unity, unseen, unprecedented in history. Because at the end of the day, we are one organism, and we are one people, and we all are indispensable components of one larger mosaic. And that is lesson of Rishchidosh Sivan, which also explains a, simple, a dayenu that we said, Pesach. One of the dayenus, enough, we said, even if you brought us close to Har Sinai and did not give us the Teirah, that would have been enough. Among the different... Why would that be enough? What's the point of standing at the mountain and not receive the Torah? The whole point of the whole Yitzhiyah's The whole point of Yitzhiyah's was to serve God at this mountain by receiving the Torah. So what do you mean, Dayenu? Because there's a power of just standing near the mountain already is an Ahdus. And that's why it says Negedahar, and that's why it says, Ili Kirvanu Lehar Sinai. Tavna Lahar Why Lahar Why doesn't it say Tavna Sashem? Because something about the presence of this Har Sinai, which was a mountain, but a humble mountain, that brought the Bittl and the unity, the Bittl that brings unity among the people, Ki'ishachad Belevechad. So it's a very powerful day today. And one that doesn't, shouldn't just be one day. One that's meant to empower us forever. Especially as we come toward Matan Teir. Very powerful sikha that the Rebbe gave, delivered. In the year Tov Shem Vov, Shavuos was like this year's Kviyas, Friday and Shabbos. So there's a Fabreng in Shabbos afternoon, late afternoon, before the Shkia, the Rebbe would Fabreng, wash, and Fabreng until late into the night. Then there'd be benching, and there'd be Mairi, and there'd be Abdullah. And then Keshav Baruchah that would go through the night. That's it. That Fabreng and the Rebbe spoke a lot about Ardus. He started actually saying, We're tumbling lately. We are creating a storm, storming about Ardus and Avis Yisrael and Ardus Yisrael, which was a central theme always, but especially during that period. And the Rebbe edited the Sikh, it's printed in Lukutis Sikhis in the Hesophis of Chelik Lamed, um, um, uh, probably Chelik. Uh, very interesting about this theme, Ardus. And he explains why Take, what was it about Hashin? I say, said, because Teda, called Teda was given to bring Shalom to the world. As the Rambam Paskins at the end of Hilchas Hanukkah. Shalom is Ardus. But Ardus Shalom does not mean an Ardus that annihilates anyone. It's Wholesomeness, it's completion. It's number three. Number one doesn't have a number two. So the fact is there's no one to disagree when there's only one. Number two is disagreement. That's why it doesn't say ki teiv, alikim. It doesn't say the word teiv on day two of creation because on that day was created diversity, which has the potential, as the Medrash says. And day three, a tev for two and for three. Why? Because three demonstrated shalom, like we say every morning in Davening. That Shneik Suvi Machishim two verses that contradict one another, the third verse, and reconciles between them. Reconciliation is not compromise, it's recognizing a deeper truth that sees the value of each individual and creates a greater whole, a synergetic greater whole. That's why it was Bechedesh Hashlishi Matan Number three, 
Medrash, as the Gemara says in Shabbos, in the Sugya Matan Teirin, the Peiches, Daf Peiches says the Berchedesh Ashlishi was given, and Beyem Ashlishi was given the Teirin that's made up of three Tanach, Teirin Nevim Ksuvim, through through to a nation of three Amit La Amit Lisay, Kehanim Levim Yisraelim, by a person who's the third child, Moshe Rabbeinu. And he goes on to enumerate a whole bunch of threes. Why is the emphasis? Not just a, a coincidence, a bunch of threes, because three indicates on the concept of Tiferes, of Shalom, where you have Chesed and you have Gvura. You have right and you have left, and you have different opinions. And each one has legitimacy and comes a third and finds a higher truth that takes all of them and discovers their commonality, but also each uniqueness, the uniqueness that each of them have. So that's what happened this day. So Matan Teireh is all about Shalom Ba'elam, bringing peace to the world. So as they stood before the Mount Sinai, the Har, which is the Har that Ibishta chose, where he would give Teireh, that's the experience that they had. We see this also just from the beginning of Pirkei Ovis, which we begin studying, we began studying after Pesach. Moshe Kibbal Teireh is Sinai. What's the focus on Sinai? Moshe Kibbal Teireh, Ma'ashem. So there are different explanations, but one of them is because the mountain itself has power. The power of it was a mountain. So you need to feel proud, but the lowest mountain. You need to feel proud, but humble. That's the secret to receiving Torah, and that's the secret to unity. Unity is not about denigrating or eliminating any individual or annihilating anyone. It's about recognizing the value of each and then recognizing the mountain within each, everyone is like a little mountain, in their own way, but there's a bitl that's stronger than the individuality, or at least equal to the individuality, that recognizes it's all musical notes in a large composition, all pieces of a large mosaic, a cosmic mosaic that God created, Hashem Echod, given through Teda Achas, with a purpose being to take a world of diversity, and a world of fragmentation, and a world that can even be divisive, and discover the underlying unity of Hashem Achod, oneness, bringing Achdus and Elam Apirud in a world of division, a world of fragmentation and separation. The language of Chsidis, Shvidis HaKelim, shattered the containers. So you have fragments everywhere, and our job is Tikkun HaKelim, to repair. And how do we repair? By directing it all toward the Chod Rechecha De'eyu, through Teirah and Mitzvahs, we find and discover the sparks that are scattered in all these little broken pieces. And like a narrative, like a page, pages of a book that were torn up and there are pieces all over, you reconstruct it into one unified whole. And now it's greater because it came after the fragmentation. These are the lessons that we derive from Shcheder Shivan going into Shvuas that are relevant today just as more, and maybe more than ever, but just as much as it was when the Teda was given 3,322 years ago, 3,332 years ago, that as the Gemara says, just as then it was received with awe, with, with, with trembling, positive, and other expressions, so too today we recreate that experience in a form of Ardus, the Medus Springs, that the Torah could not have been given if there was one Jew missing. One Jew out of millions. 
Why? For this reason. Because Ahdus is not about just a unified whole. It's about that every individual is accounted for and is part of that unified whole. And the whole is not complete. The entirety is not complete with the individual. As the Rebbe explains in that Sikha, and in many Sikha, Shvuas Tov Shemem Vov. Check it out. It's a very powerful Sikha, very relevant, especially to our time. So it's about the unity. And times like this, when we're challenged, when, as I said, a common enemy can unite us, the, the challenge is going to be, when the common enemy is lifted, will we remain united? Will we remain more united than ever? And that's our up to us, completely up to us. Because the underlying unity is there. Science recognizes this today. We don't live in a fragmented universe. We live in an, it's, it is an integral unity to the entire existence. Some say it's like one tapestry. We just don't see it because we live on the surface level. So we see the pieces. We see the here and the now. But in truth, there's one underlying unity. And essentially all discoveries is recognizing the unifying forces that connect everything. Look at nature. The symbiotic nature of nature. Symbiotic nature of nature. The symbiosis. How it all complements each other in the most fascinating way. The human body. A healthy human body. Thousands of different elements, millions, trillions of cells. Yet they all come together. Who's conducting this symphony? Who's creating this type of synergy, this symmetry? There is a unifying force because it all began with Hashem Echad. Then God chose to create a tzimtzum, which concealed and created a duality in our perception that there's an independent consciousness of divine consciousness with the objective to make a b'tachtenim and bring them together. So nor Eden, a river ran out of this Eden, Umesham Yapodad, it split into four. Kabbalah Siddhis explained the four worlds, for our with the objective that we now come and take and connect them all by showing how each element is necessary and directed toward a higher end, which is serving the divine, serving God. Mashiach is the epitome. As Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, but when Mashiach comes, and will be a situation where the entire world will recognize that unity. We are right at that threshold, we've been told. So we need to just recognize it and act on it. That is a critical lesson in our time because it's so easy to gravitate back each one, my comfort zone, your property, my property, our boundaries. Yes, we need to have our space. We need to each be an individual. But we need to recognize we're individuals apart, one larger whole. So this is one of many lessons that we can derive for our times from from Reshchei Sivan and going into Shavuos. Speaking about Shavuos, let me begin with a question that is very relevant to this year. We know that the Rebbe gave a directive that everybody should go to shul to listen to the Ten Commandments, the Aseris Adibris and Shavuos, including children, including newborn children. This year we're told we can't go to shul. So how do we fulfill this directive of the Rebbe? In Tov Mem, Exactly 40 years ago, yes, the Rebbe came out right before Shavuos with a directive encouraging, asking, 
that people all from all walks of life and all men, women, and children, including newborns, should go to shul to hear the Seder Sadibris, citing a medrash that when you hear the Seder Sadibris, it's as if we're standing by Matan Teda. And ever since, this custom has grown, spread all over the world. So in truth, it goes in the same question and category of going to shul in general. Because of Pekuach Nefesh reasons, we're told we cannot go to shul now. And that overrides even the concept of a minion and Krisatera and all that comes with that. However, I understand this is a more, on a more personal note, something that the Rebbe specifically requested. And the question I should add is not just what do we do, but also what do we tell our children, who very often are excited about this moment. For many, this is a moment when you go to Shul, Saras Hadibris. So the answer has to be the same answer we're dealing with this challenge in general. Hashem, through his Teda, tells us what he wants of us. Yes, in regular, normal times, the way we daven is on Shabbos, on Yom Tov, we go to shul, those that can go to shul. But if for whatever reason, on an individual level or on a collective level, we cannot go, that means that's what God wants. That means the shlichus now is to stay home and do whatever had to be done in shul will be done home. So on a very practical level, let's start with the practical. If there is a minion that is allowed by the rabbonim, and of course following all the medical guidelines on your block or in the back of your home, so that can be done, bring the children out, make it exciting, and additionally, explain to them Explain to them that Hashem in His own ways wants us now to hear Kriya like this. This is the shul. And that's not in any way being deprived, anything less than when we do it in a shul, because this is what is requested. When the Torah says, now is the time that you cannot do it in a shul, do it another way, that's the same God and the same Torah. And on the contrary, I'd even go deeper. We're going to be speaking about it a little later in this program that when you're deprived of something, it makes you actually yearn and show your deeper love and connection to it. So the Rebbe's Heidah can be filled, fulfilled this year even more than any other year. Because it won't be just done, okay, we already became used to this custom. We have to find interesting, creative ways to do it. They have to be in a minion near our home. Now for those that can't even have that, then I would suggest, this is my own suggestion, sit down with your children at home, Open up a chumash, and the time, more or less, the time when it's read in the Torah, whether it's 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock or whatever works, that's convenient, read Asarasatibris with them. So it won't be in a Kriyasatera and a Sefer if that's not possible. You'll read it in a chumash and you'll explain it. And do it with even more commitment and more passion than ever before because the Rebbe asked us to do this. So either situation is not the norm. But the not the norm can be turned into creating a far deeper connection to something and appreciating it in a deeper way. Hashem should bless us that we should be able to do it in the regular way. When I say regular, nothing is regular when you're serving God, but in a way that does not have to create a new situation that we're in right now, which is not for the positive reasons, but we turn it into a positive because we're also serving Hashem. I want to just use this opportunity so it's to share with you that in the last few months since the coronavirus, since this pandemic has broken, 
we have been working overtime in creating resources and tools, materials of all sorts that are directly necessary and helpful toward our spiritual, emotional, psychological health, which is equally important as our physical health. So please take advantage of it. You can find it at meaningfullife.com slash corona, updated daily, as well as at as chassidahsupply.com. You'll also find all these resources. One is more a little more advanced. One is more for everybody, more universal. Um, I mean, truth is everything's for everybody, but language is a little more advanced language, and the other is more universal language. But check it out, including a daily spiritual antidote. And I want to thank you all for your wonderful comments and the compliments and uh, feedback. This daily three-minute video podcast as well that is directly focused on our neshama. The neshama is the key to unity. The neshama, as Alter Rebbe explains in Perik Lev, love, Lev, the heart of Tanya, about how when, when we recognize our spirit and uh, that connects and unites us and what is more necessary now when the material world and our bodies, meaning the physical realities, have been upended and exposed as being not as powerful as we thought they were, this is when we dig deeper into our resources. That's what the spiritual antidote, you can find that Subscribe to it by email, on YouTube, WhatsApp, you name it, Facebook, uh, and uh, where else is it? The podcast. And find it again at MeaningfulLife.com as well as ChassidahSupply.com. Okay. With that, I'll just read a few comments and responses from people regarding these latest uh, activities that we're doing. Thank you for your time and making yourself available to address Yiddishkeit in our times. If I may, it would be advisable to cut each segment, each topic discussing in its own short video or collage of videos for easier browsing. Hopefully one day, and with Geula and Mashiach now, Chazak Baruch. So, yes, this has been something that we've always wanted to do. We're beginning to do it now. We're calling it My Life Gems, which will be short pieces taken from these programs. We now have 310 programs, which is over 310 hours, because it usually go over more than over an hour. And uh, look forward to that. We are looking for sponsors. If anybody's interested in sponsoring, really life-affirming, a lifelines, as some people call it, of these, product, these programs, please let us know. Just go to my life, I'm sorry, chassidahsupply.com slash donate or meaningfullife.com slash donate. Or you can email me or contact us easily and let us know. Beautiful way of honoring a loved one, honoring a uh, memory of a loved one, and connecting them to eternal teachings that help so many people. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I just want to say thank you for your informative and inspirational messages in these trying times. Your combination of chassidus and common sense is incredible. Yeshur Kayach. Well, thank you for that. As you know, I try to read everything that comes my way, both the compliment, both the critique. It's all, as I said, we're all indispensable. Every one of our thoughts are valuable and we need to respect the dignity of every individual's opinion. Even if you disagree, that doesn't mean that people don't have a right to express themselves. And hopefully we can discuss and come to a deeper and higher truth, as I said, shlishi. Okay. Good. Just as cross-referencing goes, when you go to chassidahsupply.com, you can find all the archives of these programs meaning all the previous 309 programs. And uh, I spoke about Shavuos in episode 68, 118, 164, 218, and 263, almost every year, basically, since we began. 
the contest for those that are waiting and anticipating. Yes, as I said, we're going to be doing it. Just be patient with us, and I appreciate your, your uh, patience. Okay. Now, a few, many, many questions. I am really trying to keep up. I can't tell you how many come in, which I only see as a vote of confidence. So I appreciate that. Questions of all sorts. And um, we're uh, plowing, plowing through them. Hopefully, we'll be able to go back to, uh, I don't want to say regular questions, but issues that were not necessarily related to these times. But as I've pointed out a number of times, these times, this challenging times, is essentially accentuates and amplifies all issues of the human condition. So we're not like wandering away from human beings, which is the whole point of my life, Chassidus Applied, applying Tehra and Chassidus to the challenges that we face. These are the challenges now affect us all. It affects our dealings, whether we're dealing with single life or marriage, we're dealing with anxiety, fears, economy, health. I mean, it's touching every aspect of our lives, especially as it continues to, to affect us and we all are dealing with the unknown, where is this going? So a lot of the questions reflect that. So let's get into some of them. I'll do as many as I can in the time allowed, and we will continue. Hopefully talk only about positive things, but part of human life is also seeing the negative and recognizing that within the negative lies positive, which is a perfect segue from what we discussed so far about unity, the challenge of fragmentation of diversity and divisiveness that leads us into unity, that when we are often deprived of and stripped of our regular comfort zones, that actually has an opportunity to create a deeper connection to each other, to God, to Torah and to mitzvahs. So yes, paradoxically, are not being able to go to shul, are not being able to get an aliyah, not being able to do certain things, Pesach, the way we would have wanted to do it, Shavu is the way we would have wanted, actually is an opportunity to get closer and deeper connected. And that's what I want to speak about now, with the question being how deprivation can create an even greater connection. So, over the weeks of my life, since this pandemic began, right, right around Purim time, we've been speaking different lessons and uh, directives that we derive from different parshas, from Maimorim, from Sikhs, from Chassidus. We've spoken about materials coming from the Alta Rebbe, different pandemics or epidemics that existed and what, we can, what they did and what we can learn from that. And also different Maimorim, if you may recall, I learned a piece, I reviewed a piece of a Maimor from the Tzemach Tzedek in the time of his time, there was an epidemic, and other episodes and incidents that can teach us many lessons. There's one particular mimer, which I, I don't believe I mentioned, and I want to discuss it now, which addresses this in the most direct manner, but a little history. The mimer is called L'Hoven Inyan L'Kichas Anshei Chayel, which means, a mimer from the Mitla Rebbe, which means to understand the idea of the taking of the drafting of Anche Chayel, the young Jewish people were then being forced to draft it into the Tsarist army. And it was done with a lot of vicious and hatred of Jews. We know about the Kantanistan. This was connected to all of that. And of all interesting things, the Mitla Rebbe chose to say a Maimon to understand this. It's not a common thing. We have many Maimonim, but it was a Maimon addressing a, a a real gzeda, a real uh, decree, negative decree of the time. This mimer was actually said of all times in the, a few weeks before the histalkus of the Mitla Rebbe. Kislev Tovkuf 
Peches, which is the equivalent of 18, um, Kislev is 1827. Now, if looking through Chsidis, usually a mimer from one rabbi was either repeated or explained or at least quoted and cited by other rabbim. I have not found other maimorim that are based on this maimer, except the rabbi. In the year 1964, Tovshin Chavdalot, Shabbos Pasha Yisrei, on the posse connected to Matan Tere, Yisrei is of course the Pasha of Matan Tere, Ve'edaber Hashem, it's called Advorim Ha'elah, Right? It's talking about the Seres Adibris. And the Rebbe, most of the Maimir is based on and quotes actually the Mitla Rebbe's Maimir. And that's exactly what it talks about. Deprivation. And what the purpose of it is and how it can bring us closer than ever. So then it wasn't a pandemic of a virus or another illness, disease, Achmon al-Islam. It was a different type of pandemic. It was this drafting of these Jews who were taken away and not allowed to practice the Yiddishkeit in the fullest sense of the word. What is the purpose of that? Why would God allow that? And the Rebbe, when he said the Maimer in 1964, actually connected it, he doesn't say it, but but it's very clear, he's talking about the Russian Jews who are behind the Iron Curtain and being deprived and not allowed to do everything they could do possibly as free people in celebrating and honoring Yiddishkeit. Briefly, it's worth learning the Maimer yourself. And I'll just tell you where it is. The Mitle Rebbe's Maimer was given out in Kuntresim different times. It was then printed by Migdalais. But now we have it in Sefer, in Amori Admur Amtsoi Kuntresim, page 263 and on. And the Rebbe's Maimon is, of course, Tavshir Chavdalad. You can find it in the different Hanochis, or there's a Sefer Maimon, Tavshir Chavdalad. Briefly, exciting different Midrashim. Really, it's, it's remarkable material, even though it's painful. And the Rebbe said the Maimon, Tavshir Chavdalad, was a lot of tears I heard from people who were there. Because he was speaking about a reality on the ground. It wasn't just a theory. Mitla Rebbe, I don't know. We don't have any witnesses to that, but I'm sure it did not come easily knowing the Mitla Rebbe's his spilus premiums that he had. But regardless, the citing different Midrashim talks exactly about that. Why are Jews deprived from doing mitzvahs? So Teda continues to be learned and taught from the beginning of time when Matan Teda was given till this day, and even before Matan Teda. But mitzvahs, we know, after the Churm Beis Amigdash, the Beis Amigdash was destroyed, the many mitzvahs, Karbonus, Tuma Vetara, Turmus Amaisris, to some extent, many laws, that Tluyas, Bizman Beis Yevil, it's called mitzvahs dependent on when there's a Beis Amigdash. Mashiach comes and the Beis Amigdash will be rebuilt. Yes, we'll have them again. And he says there that the only Pei Zion of mitzvahs Esa, remember mitzvahs Leisese, cannot be removed because it's not doing something. So even though some of them are connected to Beis Amigdash, but when we're not doing it, we're not doing it. But a mitzvah says only 87 out of 248, 200 and Ramach, 248 positive mitzvahs, only 87 can be done today. So why would God deprive us of mitzvahs? If anything, we need that help and support during Golos. And he cites different Medrashim, time of Avram Avinu, similar situations, and says that sometimes tsar, the tsar of deprivation, 
brings out an appreciation of that which you don't have. So you may be experiencing tzad right now because you're lacking something, but why are you, why are you, why are you pained, pained by it? Because you want it. So it really is reflecting what you want, which is a very powerful thing. You're lacking the way to do it, but if you had it, we wouldn't necessarily know how much you appreciate it. That's what he says there. And he goes even further, that the Malachi Chabola, the Mekater in heaven, and say, today Mr. look after the Jews did take away also the 87 mitzvahs. Because they're doing it mechanically. And he explains there that when we're taken, when something is taken from us, it forces us to do it with much more passion. Very, how many things do we do in life in automatic pilot by rote, robotically? Because it's easy. Suddenly someone tells you you can't do it anymore. You say, oh, you look what, look what I was missing. Look how I took it for granted. That's how he explains the challenge of those young boys that were drafted tragically. And for life, it was for years, 20 years, 30 years. That, that deprivation was meant to bring out a deeper connection to Yiddishkeit for us all. He goes on to explain why can it only be one person? Why, can it, why could only be one person should represent that? And the Rebbe quotes all of this in Tovshin Chavdalad with his explanations of it, speaking about the Jews behind the Iron Curtain, without mentioning that word, but Jews are being not allowed, and Mrs. Nefesh they have, and that Mrs. Nefesh reveals a part of Yiddishkeit that you don't see in times of freedom. That's what he says there. So the lesson is this. This doesn't mean that's why God does it. Again, the mysterious ways of God, because God could have found other ways, the Rebbe always says. But it's something we can learn from it. That when we don't have something, at least temporarily, it should teach us to appreciate even more what that mitzvah is about, what a shul means, what davening is, what a mitzvah is, what a connection is. He even explains there, so why is it we say, kola esig betedes, the answers that they don't have karbonas, but I'll but let them learn the tater, kola esik betedes, ela, ki'ilu hikriv. They'll be considered. Considered. So, why do we actually need the carbon itself if you have it through tater? He says, because it's not just the tater that you learn, it includes the gagwim, includes the tsar, that you don't actually have the carbon. So, learning it, but also recognizing I don't have it, and it's necessary to have it as well. It's a very powerful mime that goes on, actually uses examples from healing from a doctor with the Laysa and the Essa. I'll just mention one more thing from it. He talks about the Laysa we said are intact. Why? Because when a doctor gives you instructions and says, God forbid, don't do certain things, those instructions are always constant. But the actual the food that he does give you to heal something, that's different according to each person, according to each situation. So Lysa said what not to do, that's the equalizer. And that's why it's always in all times, not just during the time of the Beis Amigdash. Esse is according to the situation. And with the Beis Amigdash, we have more mitzvahs. When you don't have a Beis Amigdash, we have less. But the less, as I said, the deprivation only teaches us to develop a far greater connection. I don't know if I've captured and did justice to the power, especially the emotional power and passion of these by Marim, but... I strongly suggest it's a good time to learn it, coming to Shavuos, and to understand it in the context of what we've just gone through. 
and there are people very pained and and uh, and very it's very honorable, the pain of not being able to do this conventional. I'm not talking. We're not talking about negative things. Conventional rituals and traditions, as we've always done them, whether it's going to shul or different ways we celebrate Yom Tevin, and there's all these limitations. That a limitation is not a limitation. It's an opportunity to grow and appreciate things in a far more heartfelt way and to do it with more ava and yira, with more love and awe than ever before. Okay. With that, let's segue into the next question. Is the pandemic a punishment? So this is a follow-up to last week's discussions, last week, the last few weeks' discussions, and something that keeps coming up. I see people are continuing. Is it a punishment? Is it due because of some misbehavior? Because on one hand, we keep saying we need to learn. We need to learn from the students of Rabbi Akiva who died in the plague due to their lack of respecting each other, to respect each other. So it seems like that was the cause. Then we say, no, we don't know God's mysterious ways. So this is definitely a constant dance. But I will just say before we get to the, before I read further, the relationship with God is not a vanilla relationship. It's not a one-dimensional relationship. It is a complex relationship. If marriages are complex, you can rest assured that a marriage with God is complex. Human beings, yes, it's true, men and women are different. But if because they're so different, but at the end of the day, they're both mortals. Imagine our creating trying to create a creator and his creatures. A partnership between the infinite and the finite, between that which is beyond infinite and the finite, the immortal and the mortal, and so on. So you can imagine a relationship is a complex one. So if you think you're going to have a quick answer, what's our relationship with God? Do I understand him or I don't understand? Can I complain and be angry at him or not? I accept everything. Can I challenge? When negative things happen, what does it mean? So rest assured that it's not simple. I know we like simple things, but it's not simple. And when you come to terms with that, you realize a relationship is multidimensional. You can daven Tashem fervently and then have a complaint to Hashem and say, why can't you help us? You're our father. Is our relationship like a father and a child? Av? Or are we an Eved and an Oden, like a master? So we say both. Em kavodim, em kibodim. And many more. Tamosi, Rayosi, Yenosi, Kalosi. Sometimes God and the, and, and the Jewish people are like a bride and a groom. Sometimes like friends, sometimes like twins. Sometimes like doves. There's so many different expressions. Just to show you that, that it's multidimensional as it is on a much smaller scale between human beings. Any healthy, loving relationship between spouses is not one-dimensional. You'll find they can argue and they can love each other. And it could be at the same time. And other factors that go into a relationship. Because it's a, the human being is a complex entity. Multi, a multitude of different forces at work. And put two people together, it just multiplies exponentially. And how much more so with God in us. So it's important to know that. With that, let me go into reading some of the follow-up and try to respond to it. Yeah. First of all, thank you, Rabbi Jacobson, for answering my question last week so honestly and so emphatically. I am the physician with the questions reconciling the almost continuous pronouncements in our davening about God being good with clear evidence of seemingly random events of destruction 
that have befallen the world so often. I actually came to an understanding over the last week of why we say Baruch Dayan MS, MS, when somebody passes away. Loyaleinu, I'm adding. Because the very human question of why they had to die at this time is inevitable. And asked by human beings with very limited understanding. So for us being judges in this matter, it's not possible. It's not possibly MS. So it's only the Dayan MS. Only God is the MS. So the Torah is saying that the only true judge can be God. Multiplied by a thousand times, that is what we have to believe in what is happening in our world today. After listening to you today, I came to the realization that when the Torah says that God listens to the orphan and the widow, and that God rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked, it must follow that these also are very deep and profound statements and cannot be understood superficially. I have no idea what they actually mean, but if I understand you correctly, the most fundamental thing one can say about God is that he is unknowable and he is cloaked in mystery. And the rest is subsidiary to that. I would ask you, I know you're an extremely busy man, but perhaps you could point me in the right direction with regarding, with reading or learning material so that I could become, come to a deeper understanding of my relationship with God and how indeed I could have an authentic relationship with God since he is cloaked in mystery and so unknowable. Thank you for such a powerful answer that you gave to my question. Okay, so thank you for your kind words, and I'm very glad to hear. Not glad about the topic, obviously, but glad that you're able to internalize it, because it is that's exactly what you're doing. You're, you answered your own question. By processing, by asking your questions, by challenging the issue, and then by slowly coming to terms with what God is and who we are, you are developing a relationship with God. A relationship with God does not have to be purely, I ask you a question, you give me an answer. As a matter of fact, even with a teacher and a student, the good teachers, it's going to give you an answer, and then you'll realize, oh, there's another dimension, and you'll ask another question, and there'll be another answer. The Baal Shem Tev once said, for every question, there's an answer, and for every answer, and for every answer, there's another question. And not repeating in a circle, it's climbing a ladder. That is the mystery of existence. We need to come to terms, not just with God, it's the way God created the universe. Knowledge itself. Does knowledge have an end? Where do you stop growing? Whatever you know today, tomorrow hopefully you'll know more, and you realize that you know, a broader horizon, like climbing a mountain, there is no end to this. So you are on a good journey with having a relationship with God, which combines both things, things we know and things we don't know. The fact that we come to be aware that God is unknowable is not a cop-out. It's not an escape. It's not like say, okay, I throw my hands up. No, that actually is growth. Because if you think you know something that is so powerful, like the Creator, so beyond us, that is a delusion. So you've come to a very good place. To connect to the unknowable is not a is, is not impossible. You just have to have the right bitle. And you know something? You ultimately get to know the unknowable, as, as paradoxical as that sounds. So what can I refer you to? First of all, chassidus. This is the essence of all chassidus. A relationship with God. Understanding godliness. Then understanding that what we know, God is even beyond that. Then that too is internalized. And then you go deeper and you realize there's even more. This is the, this is the process. It's a journey upward. The second maimer 
in the Yom Kippur Maimer of Tovshtay Sadik Dalit. We're learning it now. This is the morning class that I invite you all, a Zoom class that I give every morning, 9.30, PM, 9:30 a.m. You can go online and find information at chsidisapply.com slash imbays, or just go to imbays.com. So we're learning in Tzadik Dal, which is based on Ayin Beis. So the Tzadik Dal, so he says, he talks about this fascinating journey of Avram Avinu and all of us, how we climb from Yediyas HaChiyuv to Yediyas HaShlila. First you say, we're wise, so God is definitely wise. Then you realize, one second, God's wisdom is Chakim V'Leib HaChachim It's a wisdom, but not a knowable wisdom. Then you come to realize even that not. And the higher you go, the more you're appreciating God on God's terms. And that's the whole point of to create a partnership, a relationship. God did not want a one-way street. I'm the master and you're the servant. I want you to love me. I want you to know me. He wants a relationship. How could you know God? God is unknowable. If I knew him, I'd be him. The ultimate of knowledge is not to know. It's to know that it's unknowable. But there's a deeper interpretation. It's to know the unknowable. Because we have within us also elements of the divine that are not purely logical. We have emotions, for example. And we have other tools and resources, faith and trust. The list goes on. The point being is, you're on your journey learning chsidis. I would, I would encourage you and welcome you to join us in the Sayyid Base class. That will help you tremendously in building a relationship with Hashem and serving God and recognizing it's Avas Hashem, Yiras Hashem. What is that? You love, that's close and intimate. Yira is more awe and respect and distance and space. Both are necessary. That's how relationships are built, even in human beings. With the risk of sounding self-serving, if you read the chapter God and Unity in my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, is also a good summation of these ideas in building a relationship. And um, since you have given me your address, I'll try to maybe send you some other materials. But I really appreciate your question because I think this is something all of us are struggling with. We always struggle with it. It's easy to talk about tragedy and loss if it doesn't happen close home. But the fact is many of us, when we experience it, we're also at loss. The Rebbe was at loss of words when the Rebbe Sechaim Mushka passed away. I remember that. A Rebbe. Moshe Rabbeinu was at loss. Neskarkam upon of Shalmesha. He became white, pale, green, yellow, and trembled when he heard about death. Because the mystery of God is a mystery for all of us. Mystery is not a frightening word. It actually seems much more logical that God be beyond us than God be contained by us. So mystery, mystique, if you wish, is part of human experience. It actually makes us greater people more sensitive people, more subtle people, more humble people, more truthful people. Okay. Why didn't you answer, someone else writes, this lady doctor, the same way you answered for Rabbi Akiva students? In other words, let me just spell it out. Since I said that we don't know God's ways, why did this pandemic strike? Why were some, well, most, some, 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 so, many, so many people we know taken from us? So I said, this is God's mysterious ways. We'll never find an answer. So this person's writing, why don't you answer what you answered by Rabbi Akiva's students? Why the Gemara says that they died because of they did not respect each other. 
because they didn't give proper respect to one another, they didn't have the protection of immunity or immunity that was lost by their behavior and became vulnerable to the plague. Is there something we lost spiritually and now became vulnerable to this plague? So here you go. That's the other side of the coin. And this again is important to understand the subtleties and the nuances. The Rambam says in the beginning of Hilchas Tainis, I've cited it many times, especially lately, that when a catastrophe strikes a community, or anyone actually, it's cruel and insensitive, achzorius, to say nikre, mikre, nikris. It was an accident, a coincidence. It just happened. Everything is a lesson that we have to look introspectively and soul-search into our own hearts and souls, what we can do to repair the situation. Now, when you read it ostensibly, you could say, okay, that's what he's telling us, that we have to blame somebody for what happened and now correct it. That this Beis was destroyed, not by accident, it was because due to our sins. Sinas Chinom, the second Bayesheni, second Beis HaMikdash. Other things, the Torah tells us specifically. So why can't we just say very straightforward, every time we see a tragedy, it's due to something that happened. Isn't that what the Rambam is saying? And yet we're told by the Rebbe, and by the Rabbeim, and by Chassidus, and when you look closer, why didn't the Ebersh to say that when the, when the Asari Harugi Malchus were being butchered? And the Malachim came and yelled, Zu Tera, Zu Schara, this is Tera, and this is this reward. The best people, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shmuel, I mean, the greatest people are being massacred by this Russia, the Roman Emperor. Why didn't God say? It's a punishment. As a matter of fact, we'll go a step further. That was what the Roman Emperor, that's how he concocted this whole conspiracy. He heard that in Tera it says that when you kidnap someone, you're Chayiv Misa. So he called in the ten martyrs, or he called in the messengers, and said, is it true? Yes, that's the din. He said, well, you kidnapped a man many years ago. His name was Yosef Atzadik. Joseph, suddenly this Roman Russia, anti-Semite, this Hitler, is quoting Atayr, Aposek, Aloche. You kidnapped him, the, the ten Shvatim, his brothers. And you almost killed him and you sold him into slavery. Yechayv Misa, who, did you ever, were you ever punished? So I'm going to take ten of you, representing those ten. And what happens? The Ish Levush this mysterious individual dressed in linen, goes up to heaven. The Tir it says, purifies and goes to heaven to find out, is it true? The most, one of the most tragic and saddest prayers. The answer is yes. Kabla Aleichem. Accept upon yourselves. Accept upon yourself this gzeda. So clearly God is agreeing. His intentions we know were not positive ones. God is agreeing. So it is a punishment. So why then Malachim come and cry? Why doesn't Hashem say? It's a punishment. He says, no, shteik, kacholim machshava. Be silent. Vayidem Aaron. Aaron was silent. Why doesn't he just say? It's a punishment. Because that's not in our domain. When God says what he says, he says what he wants to say. Even there, God is saying silence. Of course, God could have said, no, they're being killed for what the Shvatim did. Because there's a mystery. There's other ways that it could have been done. And it's not, the Rambam is not saying point fingers, especially at others. He's saying, be sensitive. There's a catastrophe. Look into your heart. doesn't say, oh, because somebody did that. That's why this happened. Even to yourself, he's not saying, feel guilty because you did something. 
What can you do? What do you learn from this? So we don't know why in the Rebbe's immortal words to a letter written and a letter written to a doctor about the Holocaust. He asked the Rebbe, why? Why did God allow six million innocent people, one and a half million innocent children to be massacred in that way? And the Rebbe says, we don't know why. If God wanted us to know why, and it's important for our Aveda, our service, it's a letter in English. If you want a copy, I'd be happy to send it. Just send us your email. Go to the forum at chassidusapply.com but type in your email address because we can't trace it. It's completely anonymous. And we'll send you the letter. It's a three-page letter, very powerful letter. So the Rebbe says, we, can, we don't know why. If God wanted us to know why and it was important for our serving God, we would have been told. We ask, what can we do about it? That's not a contradiction to the fact that the Teda says, in and if you don't follow, this is what happened. That's when God is speaking. There's a classic sikh in Tavshin and Aleph, Vayichi and Shmeis, Tavshin and Aleph, where the Rebbe speaks why the Holocaust can't be seen as a punishment. But we say in the Teda, some things are. So number one is, we cannot make that correlation. God sends a prophet and says, that's the reason, that's God's business. You just said, Baruch Dayanam is only God is the judge, only God knows. Secondly, there's certain things that don't, that don't even fall into the category of a punishment, it's just too cruel as the Rebbe elaborates there. And when Yeshaya spoke negatively about Jews, he was severely punished, the prophet, as he explains in all in that sikhah. So it's not a contradiction. We're not trying to explain God. That's not our business to explain God. It's a simple logic that we can't even understand uh, uh, a PhD in uh, physics. A great professor, a great mind, a gone, a leki, so how much more that we can't understand God? That's not a chiddush. That's a simple logic. However, that doesn't mean that we are cruel and insensitive. You see something? There's a reason you were shown. Why were you shown this? Why are you experiencing? Why did we in 2020, why are we living now to witness this? To witness some good friends, family, loved people, great people dying due to this virus. Why? Just to say, we don't know why. The, the answer is, what lesson do we learn from it? We don't know why. The lesson is we have to de deepen our love for each other, strengthen our mitzvahs, connecting to God even more, even if we don't have an answer. We, we learn from the, the plague that struck the students of Rabbi Akiva is not to say because they were, they died as a result of so that's why it's happening now. That's not how we speak. We say we learn from there that COVID and Ahdus is a preventive medicine. It's an immunity that the students of Rebbe Kiva, because they didn't have it, allowed the plague to affect them. So we learn from that, that Ahdus is a, a source of blessing. We learn writing a Sefer is a source of blessing. All the others, Gulas, Zdokit, Tatzel, Memavis. So you can say, because you didn't give Zdokit, that's why somebody died? We don't speak in that language. We look at these things as tools to help us build the immunity necessary to protect us. And the best proof is that, God forbid, sometimes we do it and it still doesn't necessarily protect because God is mysterious ways. We don't know. Or God said no, or whatever is the deeper understanding of it, if there is one for on our scale and our level. So this, as I said, is part of the complex relationship. It's not black and white. It's complex. The Jews had all the tightness in the world after the Holocaust to say, look what you allowed to happen to a third of our people, which devastated everybody, not just the third. The families that were left, the orphans, the widows, 
the widowers, the children. I mean, but the connection is a profound one. We pick up the pieces, we dig deeper, and we realize that God is still with us, though we don't understand and we can cry about it, which leads me to the next question. Can we question God's ways? If as humans the reason we question God's ways when something bad happens is because as physical creations in a world where godliness is concealed, we don't see the full picture, then why do Malachim question God's ways? Such as when the ten martyrs were being killed, the angel says, is this the reward for studying Torah? Don't angels live a spiritual existence and are not bound by the same physical limitations that we humans are? It's an excellent question, but I already answered the question. Because asking the question is also part of the relationship. If, we, if you see someone dying, you see the greatest t- people of the generation, the martyrs, being massacred, and you wouldn't ask and you wouldn't cry out to God? That's not faith. That's not saying, oh, you know, God, great. No problem, I understand your mysterious ways. I can't understand. That's part of what God wants. Moshe Rabbeinu wouldn't take no for an answer after the Chet Egel, which was a grave sin. No, he wouldn't take no for an answer. Until he finally prevailed. Yom Kippur came down with the Luchas. He won, he prevailed. Why couldn't God, God didn't know he's going to prevail. Why do you have to put him through 80 days of rejection? Could be that he needed him to come. We said before, rejection, deprivation brings out a deeper connection. Whatever the reason, but it had to come from Moshe. And it came from Moshe. And he put himself on the line. Erase my name from the Torah. He broke the Luchis. First Luchis. Later when he doesn't pray for the Maraglim properly, Hashem says, why don't you pray? Because he said, you said, too late for them. He says, but you prayed last time and it worked. Prayer is always part of the relationship. We pray for somebody even if it looks like they're completely almost gone. We pray. Because that's part of what it is. I, maybe Hashem has a different plan. We love God and God loves us and we say we're going to demand and pray and complain and yes, question. That doesn't mean we give up. That's because we didn't give up. When you love somebody and they reject you or at least it looks like they reject you, you don't say, okay, too late, too bad, I'm moving on. You knock on their door a million times. You don't stop knocking. That's the love. And we expect that God will respond. Sometimes he responds in one way, sometimes another way. The fact that we're here, the Jewish people are here, is a miracle. So there's plenty of blessings that we have as well. So the malochim asking is exactly what's necessary. To ask, to challenge. What God answers is up to God. He could say, stay, be silent, or he may answer and, and fulfill our prayers and actually experience a, a refor, a geula, and so on. Okay. Well, since we're on that, let me just go to another side of the coin. This one brought a smile to my face, even though <laughs> it's, a, it's a very sad question. You'll see in a moment why. Can we go on strike and stop doing mitzvahs until our God ends the plague? He goes the other way around. We have tried prayer, <laughs> writing new Torah scrolls, and adding to mitz- in mitzvahs to beg Hashem to stop the plague. But it hasn't worked, which I disagree with. It hasn't worked. It hasn't worked as, to the way we want it in every way, but there's plenty have worked. We don't know what could have been. I'm just adding that. So this writer continues. We can assume Hashem derives pleasure and benefits from us doing mitzvahs. Yeah. So why, why, So can we go on strike? 
can we say that we tried everything, but now we're going to try something new. We will not put our film till Hashem ends the plague. You see why? This is Jewish chutzpah. And I, 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 I know it's very sacrilegious, irreverent, but I hope it's coming from a sincere place. The answer is, the answer, my friends, is this. Who do you think we're hurting when we go on strike? You think Taylor Mitzvah was given only for God? Yes, God has pleasure. Nachas Ruach whether we understand why or not, Nesava Kodesh Baruch it's his desire. But our connection to God is not just some type of like relationship, let's say, with our business partner. And if you're not behaving properly, you say to the business partner, here's my ultimatum, I'm not going to do my part until you do your part. It doesn't work that way exactly. God is the creator. God gave life. God gave purpose to existence. <clears throat> we don't understand the purpose completely. We know little details. So for us to say, no, we're not going to have a relationship with you, you're cutting yourself off from your life source. Why would you do that? That would be like biting, like what they say is to bite off your nose, your, <laughs> to, to bite off your nose to spite your face. That's expression. You're only hurting yourself. That's the problem with this uh, strike. To say that I'm going to break down the walls and the doors and bring down the house and say till him like never before. Yeah. But it's not a simple thing. You just say to God, hey, I'm not going to do mitzvah comes from the word connection. It's like saying, I'm going to stop breathing until, I mean, there were people that tried that. They went on hunger strikes. But that's not how it works with God. I'm going to stop breathing and deriving my spiritual oxygen. Until you do what I'm asking you to do. We were given ways to do it. And we could have chutzpah. And we could challenge. Moshe challenged God. He was... He was um, reprimanded for it, but then, then a God revealed deeper revelations as a result. Why are you doing evil to the people? God is accused God. Avram Avinu said, People will say the judge of the entire world is not doing judgment. And on and on. Men and women of faith have always challenged God. But you challenge God in a certain way. You don't do it by, by hurting yourself, obviously, in the process. So that's the response to that. I'm, I'm, I'm sighing only because there's so much more and I'd love to read them all. A very good question here about God's ways. Okay, we know we have to leave certain things. So let me just do this. Uh, I'll do, uh, let me see. My dear Rabbi Simon, it's very natural, it's, it's very natural for you to share with us thought provocative topics. But this time your provocation reached the boiling point. Not sure what that means. Okay. Speaking about the death of 24 students of Rabbi Akiva, we should learn their lesson and apply cause and effect theory. But in the case of our losses during this time, the explanation switches to the God's mysterious ways. And the question, why is there, su- why there is suffering, is covered by ethical silence. So for the first why, there is because, but for the second why, there is no because as if it would be unethical to look for the reason in front of the pain we suffer. I understand the tradition that came from the Baal Shem Tov, who attacked rabbis for preaching Jewish guilt and demanding repentance during the ordeal. We know how destructive low self-esteem and unproductive depression may be. Nevertheless, there is a why. There is why, and there is why. <clears throat> Different niggin. 
Nevertheless, there is a why, and the, nevertheless, there's a why, and there's a why. Now, when we are in a battle for life, for the future that depends on us, the truth about God's mysterious ways is irrelevant. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard from one of the famous Chabad rabbis, from one famous Chabad rabbi, that the Rebbe once said that the Holocaust became possible because Jews did not stand up against murder at the beginning. Now, when we search for the core reason for what is going on in the world and so many times speak about God as a shadow of us, Hashem Tzilcha, the answer that means to ease our pain can easily turn into the opium for the masses. It's understandable if your status doesn't allow you to speak loudly, but maybe, just maybe, it's our fault that we got, that we got here. Maybe we have to correct our mistakes and learn not only the art of prayer, but tshuva itself. The tshuva as well. Maybe we should start to learn the lesson how to stand against murder or practice something else. There's more to say, but I can continue only with your permeation, with your permission probably. Thank you for all that you're doing for us, for the world. Well, I believe I already preempted this question with what I've said. Um, first of all, we don't say because they didn't respect each other, that's where they died. We say that allowed them to be vulnerable. Is it possible that we are also vulnerable? Absolutely. But the care for what we have to take is not to become judgmental and start pointing fingers at others. If you want to look in your own heart and say, I could have been a kinder person, a more loving person, by all means, and repair it. But to make direct correlations is a dangerous area to go, especially if it's done for the wrong intention, with the wrong intentions. Where God says it absolutely, what God says is it's God's thing. We all can say everything started because of the Chet Eitzadas. So we can blame Adam and Eve. Had they not eaten from the tree of knowledge 5,780 years ago, there had been no death, no disease, no illness, no pandemics. So we can blame them. Where do we get from that? We have to look at ourselves and say, what can we do? We're their children. We've been affected by it. And God did create that potential. Yes, mistakes have been made. Errors were made. Sins were done. So this is not not doing tshuva. God forbid, do tshuva. That's the whole point. I was just discussing the distinction between explaining God and learning the lesson from it in our hearts. It's a nuance. But it's, it's a very important nuance because you don't want to get into the blame game of pointing fingers because you did that, that one did that. Definitely not with others, but even with ourselves. You alluded to it. To start pointing fingers at yourself and it just brings you to demoralization and depression. The Alter Rebbe says that's the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah is excellent at saying you're at fault of what happened. Now go to sleep, go through in a lethargic state and stop doing anything. Rest assured that's not coming from a healthy place. If, however, you say, you know what? I could have been more loving and more kind and it motivates you to become a better person and you create now a revolution of goodness and kindness, that's exactly you learned the lesson. And perhaps God will see that and say, yes, the lesson was learned. I will not do happen. This won't happen again. But to state direct correlations is the, is the big challenge and issue. Because unfortunately, a lot of damage has been done by people doing that. Blaming the sinners. Look inside your heart and learn. Nothing happens by accident. There's lessons to be learned. Okay, I hope that clarifies. And one more I will do. And that is about goodness. Do we have the time for that? Actually, we'll leave that for next week. So, we're going into the month to the Rosh Sivan. We're going to the month of Sivan, month of unity, Shlishi, three. Going into Shavuos this coming Friday and Shabbos. A, a holiday of unity. One day holiday in Israel. Here's two days outside of Israel. 
the day when Teda Achas was given by Hashem Echad, the, with the tool to be able to bring unity into this world. That's our opportunity and challenge. Now, one final, I don't call it a debt, but someone said to me, I really enjoy your singing. Would you mind? I know last week you didn't sing a song. Would you mind singing a nigga? So, in the covered mountain Teda, the covered being little Abbas Yisrael, I will uh, sing another nigan. This is a nigan that just instinctively comes from me right now. <coughs> so with your permission. <coughs> it's a nigan that sung Yom Kippur night after uh, Shem Nesla. <laughs> Oy I 
Yom Kippur, of course, is a continuation. It's Yom Chasunase of the, the Matan of the second Luchas. A very besimcha beprimis, with joy and internalization in the language of the Friedrich Rebbe and the Rebbe would repeat so often. And we are here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. So next Sunday, Yisro Chag, after Shavuos, we will continue this journey. Stay well, be well by Matan brought healing to everyone. Even Moshe Rabbeinu, who had a challenge with the speech, was healed. So may we have complete healing in a way like as if it never happened. Guten Yontif, the Kabbalah Satera again, Besimcha Beprimius, and Afrelecha Tomid. Everyone be well and healthy. This program is brought to you by My Life, Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidusapplied.com slash donate.